I'd invite you to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 this morning, if you're in first or third grade, you can slip out to our children's church at this time. John chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 15. Our text will be verses 4 through verse 8. John chapter 3. song we sang this morning points us towards the truth that the old has passed away and the new has come, that Jesus has recreated us, that He has given us new life. Last week we saw the phrase, born again, doesn't mean that you were a, a project and needed to be in, in need of fixing You weren't a run-down soul in need of renovating, but you were a dead soul in need of resurrection, that God recreates the human heart. He turns it from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. In the phrase in verse 3, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, is a statement that if you have not been recreated, if you have not been changed, you have not been saved. Because being saved, being, being born again, being converted in Christianity is not about an update to your life or being fixed. It's about God recreating you. Let's begin reading in verse 1, roll we down through verse 15, and then we'll ask the Lord's blessing on our time this morning. God records... Inspired Scripture, John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? How is this even possible? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage, would you give us understanding? Would you help us to align our heart with your truth, that we may believe what you've said? In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. As we look into this concept of regeneration this morning, we're going to see that the regeneration is not a result of any human action. The new birth, being born again, is not a result of human effort in 
any way. Nicodemus has come with his own righteousness, with his own adherence to the law. But the message of this passage is that spiritual sight results, it is a result of the spiritual birth. Spiritual sight is a result of the spiritual birth. In other words, you don't see Jesus as so attractive and come to God on your own terms, in your own way, in whatever way you deem appropriate, in order to even see the kingdom of heaven, you must first have life present inside of you. Thus, spiritual sight is a result of spiritual birth. We see in verses 4 through 8, four truths concerning regeneration. Remember, regeneration is the phrase born again, born from above. You can't be rebirthed physically. You must be remade. You must be regenerated again, coming into existence. You must have life breathed into your dead soul. The heart of stone must be turned into a heart of flesh. All of those aspects are called regeneration. Now, before we go any further, I want to explain something, explain a nuance that maybe is present in some of your minds. The act of justification, of salvation, we call that being saved, when you cross from death to life, is a moment in time. It is one act, the act of justification. However, in that one act, there are facets, nuances to that moment of justification that Scripture reveals to us. Some people call it, the the Latin term is called order, order salutis, the order of salvation, where you have it's not different moments, it's different facets within that moment of salvation of regeneration and conversion. Okay? Now, they're not two different acts. It's one coin with two sides. It is one moment of justification. One moment of being saved. However, Jesus breathing life into you, God breathing life into your dead soul, the Holy Spirit changing your heart is not referred to as conversion that's called regeneration you placing your faith and trust in christ and christ alone for salvation is called conversion those are two facets of the one moment of salvation and so we cannot think of salvation as a series of moments within time But we must think of salvation in the order of regeneration and conversion. And the reason that's important is because the Bible consistently says over and over and over and over again that salvation is all of God. And yet there is an imperative to repent and believe the gospel. And and what that is revealing to us is that mankind has a responsibility to, as we will see in verse 14 of this chapter, to look to Jesus, to lay hold of Christ. 
but yet even the ability to lay hold of Christ, the ability to look to Jesus, the power to be saved, comes from the Holy Spirit in the moment of regeneration. And the reason that's important is because when you think of salvation, you cannot think of salvation and present, present salvation as if someone can just muster up the ability in and of themselves and try hard enough to be saved. Because if they can, salvation is just another work. So thus we call people to repentance and we pray that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes. Do you see the, the, the nuance there? Do you, do you see how this is working? And that is very important because we have the discussion from Jesus about regeneration preceding the discussion of casting our eyes to Jesus, as John 3.16 would say, believe on the Lord Jesus. But unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of, of God. So how can we call, in verse 14, those to look to Jesus who do not have even the ability to look to Jesus? And you say, well, I have the ability to do whatever I want. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because you don't have the ability, as we're teaching our five-year-old to swim to breathe underwater you may try but you will find out very quickly that you were not created with the ability to breathe underwater when i was a child we went to a production of peter pan it was a play my grandfather was in it and uh and he he was he was big into the acting in the local theater there and so as a child we went and saw my grandfather in the production of peter pan and i was fascinated by the actor who played Pan, he played Peter, and, um, and at one point, in, as he's standing on the ledge, he had a wire attached to him, and as he sang the song, you know, you can fly, he was carried across the stage in the air suspended by a wire. And as every red-blooded American child thinks, my mind immediately went to what? I can do that. So as we went home the next day, my dad went to work, my mom was busy, and I was playing outside, and so I got some rope from my dad's garage and went to a tree, tied the rope around my waist, tied the rope to the tree, and jumped. And I imagined the music playing in the background. He can fly, he can fly, and soaring through the tree. But what I got was something very different. As it turned from a soar to a whoop, right? Now hanging from the branch in the tree by a rope around my waist. Now why did I even have to use the rope? Because as much as I want to, I don't have the ability to fly. It's not part of my nature. And what you have to realize is that as much as you would want to think it so, you don't have the ability to just choose Jesus. Without being born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You must have life present inside of you before you place your faith and trust in Christ. Does that mean that I'm saved in steps? No, it's one moment. It's two sides to the same coin. But it's important for us to recognize that. 
Because if we think that we can generate our own faith and our own belief, then we can just try hard enough and we end up asking questions like, well, you're doubting your salvation. Did you mean it enough? I don't know if I meant it enough or not. What does that even mean? Because you either have faith or you don't. And so as we walk through this, I say this because I'm not preaching all the way down through verse 14. That will come... Uh, in, in coming sermons as we work our way there. And so I don't want you, because we're taking our time through this, to get a misunderstanding that there is no responsibility on you to be saved. No, the responsibility is clear. Look to Jesus, friend. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Accept the truth of the gospel. Align your heart and your mind at the foot of the cross. But in that call to repentance, we must realize without the power of God on your life, that is impossible. And so we share the gospel and we call to repentance with with fervor and with gusto and with confidence, knowing that God is saving souls, knowing that God is working, and knowing that it is the Spirit of God that breathes life into the heart. And so we hold both, not in tension, because Scripture has no tension, but in harmony. So as we look at these four truths regarding regeneration, concerning regeneration, I want you to recognize that it is man's responsibility to cling to Christ, to look to Christ, And yet, it is only through the power of God that that is possible. With that in mind, let's look at the first truth concerning regeneration, and that is this. Number one, regeneration is the key to kingdom entrance. Regeneration is the key to kingdom entrance. Verse four, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus says, unless you're regenerated, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, first of all, we must realize that Nicodemus's question is not a legitimate question. This is not Nicodemus, Nicodemus, we should call him Nico for short. This is not Nicodemus legitimately seeking an answer to this question. It's not as though he's like, okay, Jesus, explain me how this happens. Do I need to call my mom and have her come over and do we need to stage this somehow? This is not a legitimate question. This is a, this is a statement of total incredulity, of, 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 of total just, he, he, I don't know what, he's flabbergasted. What are you even talking about, Jesus? How can this even exist? Born again. Born from above, and he gets a little bit graphic here, like shockingly graphic for a teacher of the Jews to Jesus. Do I need to enter back into my mom's birth canal to come out again? I mean, it's a a very graphic statement. So the first aspect of the question is, how is this possible? How, How does this happen? The, the, the second question, unless you're born again to see the kingdom of God, how do I do that? Nicodemus' first question, Jesus' answer in verse 3, how is this even possible? His second question, what he's asking, and this is important, he's not making a scientific statement 
or a, a, a physiological, you know, some sort of, uh, some, some sort of nuance here. He, he's, not, he's not saying something about a physical body. He's saying, how can I do this? And that is imperative to understanding Jesus' answer. Nicodemus' question, how do I do this? You say, I need to be born again. How do I do this? And he uses sarcasm to get his point across. The emphasis, again, sometimes we get fascinated with things we don't understand. And so we get fascinated by his, his, his statement of being born again from his mother's womb. But the emphasis of his statement is on the first question, how can I do this? How do I go about this? Because Nicodemus' background and because God has not chosen to open up his eyes yet, Nicodemus cannot see this truth. Because without being born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He can't even comprehend the answer. And so Jesus gives him an answer. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. This is the second time that he says truly, truly, three times in the short passage, 25 times in the book of John. Truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you. Jesus is saying, don't miss this. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. Nicodemus can't see this truth. Jesus is continually giving him the truth, and the Holy Spirit must open his eyes in order to understand it. This also reminds us, friends, when Jesus says, truly, truly I say to you, it's a reminder that there is only one answer to this question. How can a person get to heaven? There is only one truth that exists. That is the truth of God. There are not multiple ways to heaven. There are multiple ways to God, but only one leads to His grace. The others lead to His wrath. That there is only one truth. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, and then He gives His answer. What is this absolute truth The only key that will unlock the kingdom of heaven, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This one phrase has given people a lot of pause to try to understand what it means. And at first glance, it may seem obvious to you, but it's actually not that obvious. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now let's first see that he has, he's using kingdom language here. Jesus references entrance into God's sovereignty, entrance into God's kingdom, and the way that a person is entered into God's kingdom is through the new birth. Seeing the kingdom of God is through the new birth. Entering the kingdom of God is through the new birth. It all centers around this very important topic of regeneration, God breathing life into your soul. So according to verse 5, there's one qualification for entering the kingdom of God. You must be born of water and the Spirit. What is water and the Spirit? There is a lot that has been written to try to explain what it means to be born of water in the Spirit. If you read... I don't know that I read all of the opinions, but I sure read a lot of them. If you read the opinions, as best as I can tell of what this phrase means, there are three options 
of what Jesus means by water and the Spirit, two are legitimate, okay? So I'm going to give you three options this morning. I'm going to tell you not to believe one of them, and then I'm going to give you the freedom to believe the other, either one of the other two because they both mean the same thing. The question that we're asking is not, let me back up a little bit, okay? This is where we've got to understand this. The question is not, what does being born of water and the Spirit mean? The question is, what did Jesus mean when he said being born of water and the Spirit? Because I could say, oh, being born of water and the Spirit, man, that means this, or that means this, or that means this, or that means this. Our goal isn't to take that phrase out and say, what could this mean? Our goal is to say, what did Jesus mean? And what did Nicodemus understand Jesus to mean when he said water and the Spirit? So that's our goal here. So here's your first option. Number one, you must first be born of physical baptism and then be born of the Holy Spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. And I will tell you up front, I do not espouse this, and you should not either. This view, though, does have some support in Scripture if you misunderstand the rest of Scripture. As we say, every heretic has a Bible verse, right? Just because you have a Bible verse doesn't mean that's what Scripture is saying. And so these, these uh, people who believe this would link it back to John the Baptist's statement in chapter 1, verses 33 and 34. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So you have the baptism of water, the baptism of water, you have the Spirit present, then you have the baptism of the Spirit. And, people would, and some people would say, look at that. This is talking about being born of water, being born of John's baptism, being baptized in water, being baptized by the spirit once you have both of those you're saved if you just have been spiritually regenerated but you've not been physically baptized you're not going to get to the kingdom of god if you've just been physically baptized but you've not been spiritually regenerated you can't see the kingdom of god you have to have physical baptism and spiritual baptism spiritual regeneration we would not agree with that statement because then it's not all of god it's all of god and physical baptism Okay, And so we would reject this on multiple fronts. Uh, if you'd like more information on that, I would be happy to talk to you about it. Where this gets a little bit nuanced is some people would say, well, baptism represents you know, repentance. And so therefore, Jesus is referring to water baptism in regards to repentance. But if that were the case, I think he would just say metanoia, repentance. Um, Repentance is required for salvation, but I don't think that's what Jesus means by water in the Spirit here. I think that option of seeing this as water baptism is a stretch at best, and at worst, it's totally missing the point of this entire passage. Now, at other parts of Scripture, we will see baptism and conversion linked, but the baptism linked to conversion is that you have made a... a, proclamation with your mouth of who Jesus is, and then baptism is the physical, um, the, the physical proclamation that would match the proclamation of your heart and your mouth. You could say that you are confessing Christ in your heart privately. I don't really like the word privately because there, there is no privacy in our Christian life. There may be a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of individuality as we go, but, but you know, we are living together towards Christ, but you have a private confession, but then you also have a public confession. And the public confession is baptism. But, uh, but it's never linked, baptism is le- never linked to regeneration, although it may be linked to an aspect of conversion. Secondly, okay, let's move on. Secondly, so I say all that to say, 
It's not the case. Now, I'm going to give you two options this morning. And then I'm going to tell you which one I think, but you are welcome to disagree with me, okay? The reason I'm going to give you two options is because they both end up in the same place, that, that regeneration is not of human effort. And there are two roads we can get to get there. That regeneration is not of your own effort. It's of God's working. The first option is that water, being born of water and being born of the Spirit, is referring to physical birth and spiritual birth. You must be born physically, and you must be born spiritually, known as the second birth. The reason why this may be a good option is because it seems as though Jesus is continuing Nicodemus' thought process. Can I be born again from my mother's womb? And Jesus says, no, you have to be born once, like you just said. But then you also have to be born again. You have to be born twice. And that would be a spiritual birth. And then we would then read into that which is born of the flesh is flesh, which is born of the spirit is spirit, as again Jesus saying the same thing, that you, that which is born physically is physical, that which is born spiritually is spiritual. And that is an option. But the question that I have is, is that what Jesus meant? That it, everything that I just said is true, but is that what Jesus meant? And is that what Nicodemus understood to be true? It is possible, okay? But I see three flaws with that mindset, with that interpretation, okay? I know I'm scaring some of you because that may be the only interpretation you've ever heard. But I see three flaws with this interpretation, okay? Number one is that Jesus is not answering Nicodemus' question about physical birth. He's answering the question, how does this happen? Okay? Do you see that? In verse 4, Nicodemus says... How can a man be born when he's old? How does this happen? Can I go back in my mother's womb? Jesus isn't addressing the, the going back in my mother's womb. This is the weakest of the three reasons, but I think this is a good reason. He's not addressing going back in the mother's womb. He's addressing the question, how does this happen? And so he says, you must be born of water and the Spirit. The second reason why I don't think this is, I see a flaw, I should say, is that if that's true, then Jesus is not using any Old Testament references to an Old Testament teacher like he does in every other answer that he gives Nicodemus. So if that's the case, and it may be, then Jesus is is not giving an Old Testament answer like he does in every other answer that he gives Nicodemus. He's constantly saying, you should know this, you should know this, you should know this, you should know this. Don't marvel, okay? The third flaw is that the first century physical birth was not called a water birth. There is no reference in the first century to the physical birth being referenced as a water birth. Now, we call that a water birth today because scientifically we now know that, you know, the child, you know, is floating around in the water, in the amniotic fluid, and and we say that when the child's ready to be born, what happens? The water breaks... And we say that all the time in modern terms, but nowhere in first century language is it ever referred to as a water birth. Now, is it possible that Jesus is saying physical birth, spiritual birth? Yes, it's possible, but I see three flaws. I think there's a better understanding, okay? Again, you can choose. Don't don't be mad with me. If that's what you want to believe, that's great. And I, I could be wrong in this, but I see something in the text that I think has no flaws and is an understanding of why Jesus would say that, okay? And it's this. 
Water and spirit should be seen together. So Jesus is not saying, you must be born of water and you must be born of the spirit in order to enter in the kingdom of God. I think what Jesus is saying here is you must be born of water and the spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. One thought, not two. You say, why do you think that? I'm going to read two passages of scripture, more than that, two passages of scripture in the Old Testament, in which I believe Jesus is quoting here, in which Nicodemus would know, you're welcome to turn there if you want, you can, um, you can look them up later. One is, is Ezekiel chapter 36. So in Ezekiel chapter 36, it says the following, Ezekiel 36, I will take from you the nations and gather from you all the countries and bring you into your own land. This was a scripture reading from last week. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. Water in the spirit. I'm going to do this thing, and this thing is to give you a new heart. And that new heart means cleansing with water and the spirit being inside of you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes, be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel saying there's coming a time in which your heart will be recreated. What does that look like? It looks like the cleansing of sin and the spirit put inside of you. Water in the spirit. That's what I think Jesus is referencing. I'll give you another proof. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 2 and 3. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Jeshua run whom I have chosen. Listen carefully. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and the streams of dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your offspring and all of your descendants. It's this constant picture in the Old Testament of the spirit of God being poured like water into the human, into the human heart, that the heart is changed from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And the born of water in the Spirit is to say you are cleansed and you have the Spirit. And it's Jesus saying, Nicodemus, you should have seen this in Ezekiel. You should have seen this in Isaiah. You missed it. Unless you're born of water in the Spirit. You know all about this water in the Spirit. It's all through Isaiah, it's all through Ezekiel. And so if you're thinking, you would say, okay, Pastor Joe... If you're right, which I may not be, if you're right, we would also see, because this is not the only passage of regeneration in, in, in Scripture, we would also see when regeneration is brought up in the New Testament, allusions to water cleansing and the Spirit coming in, if this is right. And it just so happens that we do see that. Titus chapter 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, listen carefully, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. There it is. Water in the Spirit. The washing. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of the water of the word. How did Jesus cleanse? How did he save his church? By the washing of the water of the word, by regeneration. And so in the New Testament, you see wash, cleansing, and Holy Spirit linked together over and over and over again. And in the Old Testament, you see it linked together over and over and over again. And so what I think Jesus is saying is, listen, Nicodemus, you missed it. You must be born of water and the Spirit. You have to have a new heart put in, for, put in you before you can even see the kingdom of God or gain entrance into the kingdom of God. No, no, that's a long 
that's a long explanation to show you how I was convinced of that, but you don't have to be, okay? We're going to get to heaven. We'll talk about it in heaven, but, but, uh, but, but I really think that if we trace through and we say, okay, let's not read this from a Western mindset. Let's put ourselves there in the first century and see an Old Testament scholar talking to Jesus about regeneration and Jesus constantly saying, the Old Testament has been saying this for thousands of years, teacher of the law, and you missed it. And he's constantly linking to the Old Testament. I think that's what Jesus means by water and the Spirit. So Jesus says, unless you are cleansed by the Spirit, unless you're born of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That regeneration is the key to kingdom entrance. The end is the same no matter where you land on those two. Whether you're, you didn't birth yourself, there's nothing that you did to be brought into this world. We jokingly say when, when a lady is great with child, you know, well, they'll come when they're ready. No, no. They'll come when you're, when you're ready, when your body is ready. Because the child has nothing to do. We should celebrate the mom every time the kids have a birthday, shouldn't we? We should start a new tradition. Somebody has a birthday, why would I give you gifts? You didn't do anything. Your mom did all the hard work. Let's give the mom gifts. So, maybe we'll do that from now on. Number two. Not only is regeneration the key to kingdom entrance, the rest are shorter, by the way. I know for those of you that are looking at your watch, you're like, this is going, if you've got four, this is going to be a long sermon. No, the other three are much shorter, okay? Number two, regeneration is from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from some sort of meditation. It doesn't come from some sort of inner light. It definitely doesn't come from your own earned righteousness. It comes from the Holy Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus is once again contrasting the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. There's no way that a person can regenerate themselves. Just being alive does not make you one of God's children. In order for a person to see the kingdom of God, in order for a person to gain entrance into the kingdom of God, they must be born again, they must be regenerated, and that the, um, the force of regeneration, the power of regeneration is the Holy Spirit. It's not your own works. And that may be why some of you being raised in a Christian family are so frustrated with trying to live the Christian life and you just can't seem to get it right because you've never been born again. You've never been regenerated. You're trying to live your life and you're just so frustrated because it can never seem like you can be good enough. And Jesus is saying, of course you can't be good enough. You have to be perfect. And you've already ruined that. You need to recognize that it's not of you. The Holy Spirit must breathe life into you. We see this reflected with Jesus' interaction in Matthew chapter 16 with Peter. He's asking them who he is, what is his identity, and he says to them in verse 15 of Matthew 16, who do you say that I am? Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Good job, Peter. You've really been studying hard. Good job. You know this really well. Good job. You really understand it. No. What does he say? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. When someone receives Christ for salvation, you know what you say? You don't pat yourself on the back and say, man, I argued them into the kingdom. Man, 
I did a good job, didn't I? I've been studying up. I love this track. This track really works. No, Jesus works. The Holy Spirit works. Tracks are tools that God can use as long as they have Scripture in them. Make sure they have Scripture in them, accurately applied. That, that the Spirit can use through the Word to save people. But when someone gets saved, you look and you go, praise God, God saved you. God has revealed this to you. The Father has drawn you to Himself. 1 Corinthians 15.50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what what is born of spirit is spirit. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. Okay? What is born of flesh is flesh. But what is born of the Spirit is spirit life. This concept should not have shocked Nicodemus. He should have known this. And friend, let's hope that you would not enter into heaven only to hear the words, depart from me, workers of iniquity. And you say, but I called you Lord. And Jesus said, you should have known this. It's not about your works. Thirdly, regeneration is not just a New Testament doctrine. Verse 7, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Once again, Jesus is continually pointing this man who is knowledgeable of the Old Testament back to the Old Testament and saying it's the same gospel. If you've ever had somebody tell you that Old Testament saints were saved different than New Testament saints, they lied to you. It's the same God, the same gospel. Were Old Testament saints regenerated? I actually was, uh, was looking at ways to frame this, and so I watched a panel discussion uh, with some godly theologians who were discussing different questions, and there was one question, and, they, and uh, somebody from the, uh, some of the audience asked, Uh, Were Old Testament saints regenerated just like New Testament saints? And the head of a seminary picked up the mic and said yes, and put the mic down. Like, this is obvious. This is not something we need to argue about. Now, did the Holy Spirit indwell believers the same in the Old Testament as in the New Testament? No. There was not a continual indwelling like the Comforter. Jesus promises that in John 14. And it comes at Pentecost with the, with the church, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But were Old Testament saints regenerated? Yes. Salvation comes by grace of God through faith. So we're not going to have a discussion about how the, Old Testament, how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. That's, a new, that's another discussion. But were they... Were they regenerated? And the answer is yes. There is one salvation for the people of God. One salvation. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place he was to receive his inheritance. You know, when God called people to follow, there is no reason that they should have gone. Abraham, out of the Earl, out of Ur of the Chaldees. By the way, he wasn't the Earl of the Chaldees. I used to thought that was his title. He wasn't the Earl of the Chaldees. He was from Ur of the Chaldees, um, a moon worshipper. 
and, and had a great life, wealthy, family, and this has this random vision where, where this God says, leave everything. And he does? Why? Because he had a new heart. Because God regenerated him. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham. You can go through Hebrews chapter 11. Just by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. James chapter 2 and verse 23. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was no longer an enemy of God, but was a friend of God. Old Testament saints were saved by faith in the revealed, saved by faith in the revelation of God just as we are. Yes, we have a more full revelation. It is not a different revelation. It is a more full revelation, and thus our faith is more full and complete, not in a salvific sense, but in an understanding of God's character. There is no way to separate the salvation of the Old Testament saints and the, whole, and the New Testament saints. And so Jesus consistently tells Nicodemus, I can't believe you don't know this. You have portions of this memorized, and yet it hasn't taken the longest journey in all of humanity, the 18 inches from your head to your heart. I can't believe that you missed it. Lastly, Nicodemus has asked a question that Jesus has not answered yet. What is the question that Nicodemus asks in verse 4 that motivates Jesus' answer? That's always how we want to read Scripture. We want to read carefully. What is the question? Is it, how does my mom deliver me again? Is that what Jesus is answering? No. What is the question Jesus is answering? Verse 4 How can a man be born when he is old? And finally, Jesus comes to his answer to Nicodemus' question, and it's found in verse 8. And it's not what you think. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's been born of the Spirit. Friends, listen carefully. As you read John 3... And you see Nicodemus's question, how can I be rebirthed? Don't skip to John 3.16 or you'll miss it. John 3.16 is talking about the responsibility of man and of conversion. But that's not what Nicodemus asked. He'll ask that in a second. The question, how can I be born when I'm old? Jesus says, you ready for it? It's a mystery. I know that's not the answer you're looking for, but that's Jesus' answer. Verse 8, in the fourth truth, regeneration is a mystery. Why Abraham and not someone else? Friend, why you and not your neighbor? Listen carefully, there are some of you in here who are what we call, many of you in here as I look around, who are what we call cycle breakers. You know what cycle breakers are? Cycle breakers is when God reaches into a family and saves somebody and changes the course of that family tree. Some of you are cycle breakers. And it's an amazing miracle. And you may be tempted to ask, why not my parents? 
Why not my brother? Why not my sister? Parent with tears. Why not my child? It's not the answer that you want because we want something that we can control, don't we? But it's the answer that Jesus gives. It's a mystery. Because it's God saving people. It's God reaching down and taking someone who's dead and breathing life into them. It's God taking that heart of stone and making it a heart of flesh. It's God placing his hand of love on your life and saying, you belong to me. Why me? The wind blows where it wishes. Why, when some pastors preached, are there hundreds who respond? I was in, I was in Guyana, South America with my father-in-law. And we were operating a medical clinic, and he was a powerful, powerful evangelist. The Holy Spirit was on my father-in-law when he preached like nothing I had ever seen before, or really I've ever seen since. Why? I don't know. And we want to say, well, what did he do, right? Did he preach from a certain Bible? Did he wear certain clothes? Did he, did he preach with a certain gusto and a certain fervor? Did he have lucky socks? I don't know. In Guyana, South America, and we held a, a an evangelistic meeting, and and the room was packed. I mean, it probably sat 150, and I bet there were 200 plus in there. No fire code sign on the door. In the middle of the jungle, people were standing on ladders and standing on chairs, hanging in the windows to listen. My father-in-law gives a simple gospel message. Just there's a God. You've never heard of him. Maybe you have. He's the creator. He created the world. He created you. But you've got a problem. You're born in sin. But God is your solution. And if you call out to Jesus, you'll find salvation. If you look to the cross, short service, 15, 18 minutes, hundreds of people respond. Hundreds. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. I was so overwhelmed I went and married his daughter, right? Maybe that'll get me in good and give me some more of that spirit. You know, no, just kidding. Why did God choose to do that? I don't know, and you don't either. And if you think you do, you're wrong. Why did God take a man like Jonathan Edwards who was nearsighted, who was a quiet-spoken man, and he would sew his, his, his sermons together in a manuscript form, and he would read his, his sermons, and when he, would, he read a, a, a notorious sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and, and Jonathan Edwards was, was a staunch believer in the doctrines of grace, and he, he read his sermon, and, and people who were there wrote and said that there was so much conviction in the, in the room that day that people were gripping the pews and their knuckles were turning white and they were crying out in anguish to be saved. Why does that happen? I don't know and neither do you. Why does God take a man like George Whitfield, 
who had a lazy eye, who could hardly see. He was not much to look at. He was a big man preaching in the colonies. And he stands up and preaches to 10,000 people. And thousands come to Christ when he calls them to repentance. And yet there's a faithful man in a small town out west who pastors a church of 20 people who will exposit the word every Sunday and you don't know his name and neither do I. But he's just as faithful with the same message and yet thousands don't flock to hear him preach. You say, why? I don't know and neither do you. Because the wind blows where it wills. And so we pray the Lord of the harvest. God, will you save souls? God, will you open the eyes of the blind? God, will you, will you build your church and will you let us see it? May we be faithful with the truth and may we trust the Spirit. And may we never fall into the trap of trying to generate something that only the Holy Spirit can truly generate. We could generate energy, right? We could draw a crowd. By the way, there's nothing inherently righteous about being small or being big. Some people are like, I could draw a crowd if I wanted, but it's us four and no more. Okay, that's fine. But we could do things in this church to fill these pews. There was a church in town where I grew up, and they had a raffle on Sunday, and once a month they'd give away a car. It's called the World Outreach Center. Tens of thousands of people. They got a crowd. The goal isn't to remain small or to be big. The goal is to be faithful with the truth and to let the wind blow where it wishes. I've got a little DeWalt blower, and I can blow it. I've got a backpack blower that blows even stronger because I've got tons of leaves in my yard. But it's still not the power of the wind. For we can generate something that lasts a short amount of time, but where does the wind come from and where it goes? No one knows. But you see the effects of it. One of the greatest compliments that I've ever received in my ministry was when someone came up years ago and they said, when you preached, I could sense the Spirit. I could sense that the Holy Spirit was moving. It's those moments when you can hear a pin drop. It's also those moments of intense emotion and people, maybe, I know it's not common here in the West, but overseas, people may be cheering singing. And hold on to your britches, fundamentalist. David danced, right? How does that happen? I don't know and neither do you. Because it's a mystery. It's a mystery. You can see the effects, but you can't generate it. And so we pray, God, will you please? God, will you move? God, will you send your Spirit? Holy Spirit, would you come down and would you awaken souls? When God breathes life into the soul, He 
gives you his spirit to take up permanent residence. The Bible refers to this as the sealing of the spirit. Just like we would send a package and seal it so God says, you're my child and I'll show you how, I'll seal you, I'll actually put my spirit in you. And it is that, it is that life that gains you entrance into heaven. It's nothing else but the life of God sealed inside your heart that gains you entrance into the kingdom of God. And so to end, what I'd like to do is to illustrate this by reading a passage from Pilgrim's Progress. I know I haven't referenced that in a while. I feel if I don't reference Pilgrim's Progress every couple months, you may forget about it, right? And so you need to read it. If you haven't, if you've read it, you need to read it again. We've got copies in the Resource Center. I want to read you how John Bunyan illustrates this this concept of regeneration being the ticket to heaven. Regeneration and the Spirit of God that's given at regeneration being the seal that gains you access to heaven. And, and, And Bunyan illustrates this with a certificate that Christian and hopeful are given at the moment of the regeneration by angels. Now, it doesn't this is, this is an illustration, okay? It doesn't happen. But, but his illustration of this is a certificate. Listen carefully. Christian and Hopeful are finishing their journey together. They've crossed the river. And the book ends this way. Now, while they were thus drawing towards the gate of heaven of the celestial city, behold, a company of the heavenly hosts came out to meet them. The two shining ones exclaimed, These are the men who have loved our Lord while they were in the world, who have left all for his holy name. He sent us to fetch them, and we've brought them thus far on their desired journey that they may go in and look upon the Redeemer with a face of joy. Then the heavenly host gave a great shout, saying, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. At this time, several of the king's trumpeters came out to meet them, and they were arrayed in shining white clothing and with loud and melodious voices. They made even the heavens to echo with their sound. The trumpeters greeted Christian and Hopeful with 10,000 welcomes. This done, they surrounded the pilgrims so as to guard them through the upper regions, continually singing with melodious voices as they went, as if heaven itself had come down to meet them. This is their entrance into heaven. He's illustrating the final moments of a dear saint who's suffering in this world and is being granted access to heaven. Thus, therefore, they walked on together, and as they walked, these trumpeters with joyful sound would always, uh, be, by mixing their music with pleasant looks and gestures, signify to Christian and to Hopeful how welcome they were in their company and with what gladness they came to receive them. Now, Christian and Hopeful were, as in heaven before they came there, being swallowed up by the sight of angels with the hearing of their melodious voices. Here also they came to the city itself full, in full view, and they thought that they heard the city bells ringing to welcome them in, but above all, they were encouraged by the warm and joyful thoughts of their own dwelling there. With such company and forever and ever, oh, the tongue and pen could never express their glorious joy, and thus they came to the gate of heaven. Now there was written over the gate in letters of gold, blessed are those who obey its commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. Then I saw in my dream that the shining men bid them them call to the gate and when they did, some looked over the gate, namely Enoch, Moses, and Elijah and others to whom it was told, these pilgrims have come from the city of destruction. And each pilgrim handed in their certificate 
which they had received in the beginning of their journey. These certificates were carried to the king, who then read them and said, Where are these men? To whom it was answered, They're standing outside the gate. And the king then commanded, Open the gates to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter in. He's carrying with him his his regeneration, his certificate, his seal of the Holy Spirit. Now I saw in my dream that these two men went in at the gate, and behold, as they entered, they were transfigured. They were arrayed with clothing that shone like gold. Some men with harps and crowns were given to the pilgrims. These harps were given for worship. The crowns were given as a token of honor. And then in my dream, I heard the bells of the city that rang again and again, enter into the city of our Lord. Christian and hopeful were forever singing with a loud voice, blessing and honor and glory and power. Be to him who sits upon the throne. Now while I was gazing upon these things, I turned my head to look back and saw ignorance come up to the riverside. He soon got over the river and without half of the difficulty Christian and hopeful met with, For it happened that the one called Vain Hope, a ferryman, was there, and with his boat he helped Ignorance cross the river. Then I saw that Ignorance ascended a hill and came to the gate all alone. There was no man to meet him with the least encouragement. When he arrived at the gate, he looked up to the writing that was above it and began to knock. I've kept the commandments. I've kept the commandments. Supposing that entrance would be quickly given to him. But he was asked by the men at the gate, what do you want? And he answered them, I've eaten and drank in the presence of the king. I've taught about him in the street. And they asked him for his certificate. They asked him for his life. His regeneration. That they might go in and show it to the king. So he fumbled in his breast pocket for one, but found none. And they said, have you no certificate? But the man answered not a word. So they told the king about ignorance. But he would not go down to see him. Instead, he commanded the two shining ones who had conducted Christian and Hopeful to the city to go out and take Ignorance, bind him hand and foot, cast him away. So they took Ignorance up and carried him through the air to the door which I had seen in the side of a hill and threw him in there. Then I saw, listen to the way that Bunyan ends the first half of Pilgrim's Progress. Then I saw that there was a way to hell, even from the very gates of heaven. That those who enter on their own merits, those who enter without the seal of the Spirit on their lives, that those who try to enter without regeneration are thrown into the pit of hell. Friend, what about you? Would you heed Bunyan's warning? That if you approach heaven's gate with your own righteousness, you'll be rejected. But if you approach with the very life of God, inside of you, through the work of the Spirit of God in your life, that you'll find rest and you'll find hope. You say, Joe, Pastor Joe, I, I, I know that I'm not saved, but you say it's a work of the Spirit. How am I saved? The Holy Spirit breathes life into you and an evidence of that is you look to Jesus and you look to Him for salvation and you bow at His cross and you accept Him for who He is. So come and repent and believe the Gospel. 
Bow at the foot of the cross and find Jesus at your king and find that life infused into your soul. Regeneration is so important. It's the key to the kingdom because without spiritual life, you have no spiritual sight. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the clarity of Scripture. Would you give us grace as we seek to believe it and obey it? If there's one here who is not a Christian, would you breathe life into their soul? Would you have them to repent and believe the Gospel? Would we call them to faith in Christ? And may they find forgiveness in this world and entrance into heaven in the next. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, the instrument will play. Would you spend a few moments in silent response and reflection upon what you've heard from the Scripture this morning? What God is placing on your heart is what He wants you to be thinking about. Would you reflect on the truths of Scripture?